History Makers with Matt Prater. Coming off of drugs, you're going to have emotional problems, but I kept chasing after God. And he's using this vehicle to bring people out of the dark into the light. And I went forward and I knelt at the front, and it was a radical conversion experience. And that's where the big change happened, and that's where we decided we're going to use our music for God, we're going to change our songs. When I was about 25 year old, I was uh, busted and into jail, and it was there that I came to the Lord. History Makers with Matt Prater. Hi and welcome to History Makers. I'm Matt Prater. Joining me on the line right now is Duncan Armstrong, an Olympic gold medalist, a media commentator and a corporate speaker. How you doing, Duncan? I'm very well, Matty. Nice to talk to you, mate. Mate, it's great to catch up with you. You and I have uh, had many chats in the playground when we're picking up our kids or dropping off the kids at school. And uh, it's uh, so good to be able to connect with you on the radio. Uh, For those who don't know your story, let's dig in a little bit of your history. Where were you born and raised? I was born in the bustling, uh, tropical, exotic location of Rockhampton in central Queensland, Matt. And uh, it was a wonderful place to grow up with my two brothers and my two sisters. My dad was a bank johnny and my mum was a uh, stay-at-home mum. So, uh, yeah, we we lived uh, almost the quintessential scripted Queensland upbringing in in beautiful Rockhampton. And we lived on the outskirts of town with plenty of room to play near Yepin Lagoon and the rugby fields and... And, uh, yeah, I was very, very fortunate to grow up there from about um, when I was about two years old. I was born in Brisbane. We moved to Rocky when I was two. And, um, yeah, I just ran and played cricket and footy and went to Allenstown State School and Rocky High up until year eight. And then we moved to the Big Smoke so I could continue my swimming. Now, you're well known for international fame at the Seoul Olympics in 1988, where you broke the world record to win the gold medal in the 200 metres freestyle. Uh, Tell us how you started out in swimming. Well, being in Rockhampton, we swam all the time. Rockhampton is one of those great country towns that has a huge amount of sporting facilities, almost bats above its sort of population weight in terms of sporting facilities and you know, you're, if you're recognised in Rockhampton for your sport, well, it was a pretty good day, and that's all I wanted to do in, with rugby league and cricket and especially swimming. So I started at, uh, on Wednesday nights with the rest of the family at Rocky Amateurs, and a uh, wonderful club, a uh, very, very family-orientated club, and just fell in love with swimming and fell in love with the feeling of being in a club like Rocky Amateurs. And uh, that really lit the fire, and I met a couple of Olympians early, and I watched television saw Steve Holland and a couple of our other Olympians doing great things around the world with their swimming at such a young age and um, and finally built myself up until I was sort of leading in central Queensland. We'd go to swimming meets in Bundaberg and Gladstone and, and Mara and Mount Morgan and you name it. We'd, we'd get travel away on weekends as a family with our swimming club and, and compete against other kids my own age right throughout central Queensland. And Dad saw the potential in me, so he moved us the 800 kilometres, got a transfer in the bank, Commonwealth Bank, and uh, we moved 800 kilometres down to uh, find a house at Carindale, which was eight minutes from uh, the Chandler Swimming Pool in Brisbane because there was a quiet, short, hairy coach down there named Laurie Lawrence. <laughs> and uh, Laurie had a, uh, had a habit of producing champions, much like Wayne Bennett or Craig Bellamy or, or other great coaches that we knew. So Laurie had a pretty, pretty powerhouse squad at Chandler Pool of about 65 kids and He'd placed about 10 of those kids on, on each uh, national team going wherever it was going that year, whether it be World Championships or the Commonwealth Games or the Olympic Games. Laurie had a fantastic track record of placing young, hopeful Queenslanders on those Australian teams. So Dad saw that. He wanted me to be part of that. So the entire family moved for my swimming at the age of 14. So there was no pressure on me from the age. Um, <laughs> and so 
everybody changed schools or changed jobs and changed cities and and away I went with Laurie Lawrence and um, that was a a nine-year relationship professionally with Laurie, and I've had 30 years of therapy because of it. <laughs> but um, Laurie was a, a fantastic leader and a fantastic general and a, and a wonderful coach and a, and a great man. So grew a lot, a lot of influence on me from the age of about 14 on till about 24. So, um, yeah, I was in the Laurie Lawrence swim team and very proud of it. It was a tough initiation. It was a, it was a very – it was such a high standard from what I was doing in Rockhampton that I had to hang on tight, and it took me about two years before – I sort of came out of the fatigue fog um, that it, that the big step up in class from Rockhampton to Brisbane and the Laurie Lawrence swim team provided. But um, slowly, with hard work and determination, I slowly grew in the squad until I was a contender and then made the Australian team when I was 18 after being in the squad for three years and then on to the Olympics at 20 and then a gold medal there as well. So I was very, very fortunate. I basically lived a swimming dream um, that I used to dream about in Rockhampton and uh, Laurie and, the, and especially the Laurie Lawrence swim team teammates and team members and my mum and dad really enabled that. So I was, I was very, very fortunate with the winners that I had surrounding me and the culture that was created in that team. Well, I remember uh, you and I filmed a, a TV episode for History Makers years ago and we played that video. Uh, it's actually on YouTube. Uh, if, you know, it's gone viral on YouTube, but there's that video of you winning the gold medal and then Laurie Lawrence, he's smacking people in the face going, you see, he's, he's such a motivator, isn't he? Yeah, he certainly is. Um, he, he, Laurie's greatest attribute is his enthusiasm. Like Laurie is enthusiastic about everybody's dream, everybody's ability, and everybody's um, chances or opportunities or potential to uh, realise um, goals. And he loves goals, whether they're big goals, little goals, or anything. So he really lives in that space of enthusiasm, and it's a very infectious thing. And, and I believe that our enthusiasm is probably our greatest character trait as Australians. And so Laurie was really out there. And, you know, you see when Laurie does his motivational talks and things like that, things he used to do at 5 o'clock every single morning to the swim team because it's not easy to motivate 65 teenagers to do so many laps and get them prepared for such a big pressure event as the Olympic Games. So Laurie really sold that. He really sold the picture, sold the dreams, sold the sold the um, uh, the goals to the swim team. And then he t- he's taken that into the corporate world. So nobody... I don't think I don't think Australia has actually seen a personality like Laurie Lawrence before. So when he does become unhinged and unleashed and completely euphoric and in the moment, it, it really is a spectacular sight. <laughs> now, mate, you've rose to success, and you know you, you were traveling the world. You know you, you've been doing you know so much. You've been so successful in sport. Uh, tell us a bit about your spiritual journey. You, you had an amazing uh, encounter with God or a, a transformation when you came to Christ. Tell us how yeah. that happened. Yeah, well, after I retired from swimming, I had a little bit of trouble trying to fit in and trying to find my place in the world. A lot of trouble, actually. And there was drugs and sex and booze and and all and rock and roll and all this sort of thing as I as I chased the sort of like the media dream and and other things like that. Um, and um, and I met this girl. Uh, I'd had a marriage and the marriage failed after two years. And and once that marriage failed, about six or seven years later, I, I met this young lady and and. Um, you know, we'd been together about six or seven years at that stage and, you know, we'd gone through all the things that a relationship goes through. Um, I had two sons from my previous marriage and, and things like that. So I had this full set of sort of confusing details, which I wasn't, I don't think I was doing, looking back on it, I wasn't, I wasn't coping too well with it. And there was big houses and cars and moving into state and overseas and there was just a lot of activity um, chasing, chasing something and not being able to find it, you know, chasing sort of, 
a wholeness that um, you know I just couldn't find. And and at about the age of 35, I felt like I was heading back to start the cycle again. There were these big cycles that I was sort of a mercy to, and and part of it was finding another partner when this one didn't work, and getting another house, and getting another boat, and getting a big car. And, and sort of thing, and I could feel, I could finally recognise, I finally had enough maturity and, and and I encountered basically, I was becoming a bit pathetic with this next cycle if I was going to start it again, and Becky and I kind of weren't working out at that stage, and we'd begin, been, been together a while, and I didn't want to get married, and she wanted to get married, and, you know, and then Becky started going to, going to church here, here in Brisbane, and I'd been living in Sydney, so I moved back to uh, Brisbane to basically chase Becky, um, I, was, I was missing her after she left our uh, place in Sydney and it was about six or seven months of living by myself as a 35-year-old and starting that cycle again that I realised that you know, I was becoming pathetic. So I chased Becky back and she'd started going to church and met this couple that were very, very deep in their faith and very strong marriage and, and stuff. And I really liked the bloke, uh, Ian, who um, I got to know as Biggie, and Biggie, you know, basically had a lot more than I did. And my, my my idea of mateship was basically befriend a very strong guy who's got more than you, and you know, over time just wearing down and getting in front of him and compete and compete and compete and compete, and, compete and, and you know, and then once you got more than him, you basically walk past him onto the next mate, so to speak. So my my idea of friendship and mateship was completely toxic. So um, but Biggie Biggie went to church, and so did his lo- lovely wife Barb, and. They were taking Becky and, you know, went to church one day and, you know, it was very entertaining. It was a happy clap at church, a Pentecostal church, so everyone's clapping along to the tune and they had a karaoke board and a band and all this sort of stuff. And, you know, I just mocked it and mocked it and mocked it and uh, until around about six visits in, you know, I've had this unbelievable encounter with God where I've just had this, you know, weight land on me and I was sort of like hyperventilating and, and it was a purity of love that I'd never felt before. You know, I can't articulate it 15 years later now, but at the time I didn't know what was happening or, or what I'd encountered because my idea of love was, was very, very skewed and it was wrapped up in competition and status and, and all the things that love is not. So, um, you know, Becky's looking at me standing in the aisle off to the right and, uh, you know, and I just hyperventilating and then, you know, burst into tears and, She'd never seen me cry in the eight years that we'd been going out together, and that wasn't an option from for me in my controlled world. So I'm having this, you know, unbelievable encounter with with what I know as the Lord now, and you know, about uh, it, it lasted a couple of minutes, and then you know, lifted, and you know, couldn't believe the, the flavour of it, or the taste of it, or the feeling of it, or the depth of it. So, and then you know, the the, the crying began, and. You know, I cried for about a year every time I thought about Jesus Christ and his sacrifice for us and, you know, the overwhelming love that he has for us. Every time I touch on that, I burst into tears, which is problematic for a guy who built his world around that. So after that first encounter, you know, we basically were saved less than a month later and married a year after that. And, you know, children started arriving pretty soon after that as well. So we've got three beautiful kids together now, Becky and I. We've been married 13 years since that date. And um, our life has never been deeper or richer or more colourful or more loving than ever before. And, you know, uh, Jesus has become my absolute rock in the way I approach my life and approach people in my life. And, you know, sharing his word and sharing his love is, is you know, one of, the, one of my favourite things to do. It's, it's a very humble thing that we get to do as Christians and followers that, um, 
you know, uh, we get to share the good news about Jesus Christ and the overwhelming passion he has for us and the depth of his love and, and stuff like that. So I've got to pull up, otherwise I'll start crying again. But um, <laughs> it was a, it was a, a magic time. Uh, it's something that, you know, Becky and I still talk about today and what an exciting time it was in our life when we first, uh, you know, learnt more about Jesus and the Word and especially his name and what he stands for. And, and you know, watching our kids go to Northside, you know, coming home singing worship songs, bathed in prayer, uh, being able to pray, mostly about everything in our life. You know, we pray so often every single day and our children are leading Becky and I into it because as Becky and I are new Christians, if you want to put it that way, uh, weren't born into it. Our families do certainly didn't practice. Uh, to have kids who have never been without it, it's, it's just such a blessing for us as a family and a stabilising influence in everything we do as, you know, our kids turn into teenagers and, and those years begin and the challenging way that our sons and daughters push us as parents and push the boundaries that we put in place. You know, we've got this un- unbelievable strength through Jesus with all of that to turn frustration and challenge into um, growth and harmony. So, you know, we, we don't miss out on things because we're followers of Jesus. It's not, not the opposite, but can be quite challenging. But, you know, Becky and I are just, you know, being able to meet every challenge that has come along from our past and, being able to meet every challenge that comes along in the future simply because we've got him on our side and in, in him all things are possible. You're so busy. You're, you're a motivational speaker. You're working. You're, you're still mm. doing a bit in the media. Uh, you know, you're, you're travelling around doing different things. How do you juggle it all, you know, in your marriage and with your kids and your, and your work life? How do you have your, your time with God? What, what do you do for your personal devotions? Um, well, I spend a lot of time in the book. Um, you know, I find that the New Testament, uh, sorry, the Old Testament, so challenging. Uh, but I find everything that Jesus says completely comforting. Um, it's always a challenge when you're called uh, by the perfect being in Jesus to aim up, and that's what I love. You know, it, it really speaks to my competitive spirit <laughs> um, to to follow the words of Jesus and, and stuff like that. So my routine uh, around my work and in my kids is sometimes patchy. Um, I'm not going to claim that every single day I get up and go to a special chair and I open my book and I do the devotionals. I'm always fascinated by people who are able to share their testimony in that space and it really makes me quite determined to get on it. But um, I spend a lot of time in the car, so I actually spend a lot of time listening to sermons uh, from preachers from right around the world. On and on and on, I listen to podcasts, uh, sermons, and we've got some great preachers right here in Brisbane too that are really, really worth worth listening to and you know I listen to a lot of Andy Stanley um, uh, I listen to a couple of the other American guys who are really really hardcore um, that really sort of challenge me in, in everything that I'm doing with whether it be my devotions and what routine I'm in uh, whether I'm sharing enough to the people around me um, which I find challenging at times you know even though I'm an outgoing person and some, somewhat of an extrovert at times I think I'm a, I think I'm a born introvert so I've learned how to get out there and basically leverage my articulation and my vocab. But I actually really like closing the door at home and sitting at home quietly and doing the things that I like to do alone. So, you know, that's always a juggle in terms of how I earn my keep, uh, both here at Telstra and, and around with the um, broadcasting stuff that I do and, and when I represent charities and different things where I have to get out and about and really sell it. Um, so I juggle that, but um, I spend a lot of time with um, with Jesus' red letters. So 
So always reading about what he says, how he says, trying to unpack basically the meaning behind it. And, you know, I just can't go past the Bible all the time. So um, I spent a lot of of my time reading the Bible, um, especially the New Testament. Good on you, mate. Well, it's so good to be able to hear your story of uh, how you know you, you reached the heights of success in the swimming world, and uh, and then really didn't find uh, satisfaction in life until you came to Christ. And now you're able to tell the world uh, the good news of the gospel. Uh, it's an inspiration to be able to catch up with you again today, Duncan. I, I reckon you're a history maker, mate. Thanks for joining us. No worries at all, buddy. Thank you. If you'd like to hear this conversation again, listen online anytime at historymakersradio.com. You'll also find links to all of our social media channels and you can subscribe to our iTunes podcast. History Makers is a faith-based ministry and we want to thank everyone for their generous support. If you've got a suggestion of anyone we should interview, send us an email, info at historymakersradio.com. God bless. I'm Matt Prater and my challenge to you now is to go and make history. This year is the 50th anniversary for the Bible League. They're celebrating all that God's done in their ministry and they're praying into all that He's going to do in the next 50 years. Ephesians 3.20 says that God is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to His power that's at work within us. To Him be the glory of the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations. If you'd like to support the Bible League as they reach the generations to come, go to BibleLeague.com.au. Station sponsor.